I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 16, as we go from chapter 16, verse 15, through chapter 17, verses, verse 23. In our study thus far through the book of 2 Samuel, we've seen Samuel record for us David's great section of his life where he depended on the Lord. In chapters 1 through 9, we find him continually coming to the Lord in prayer, asking the Lord's help and guidance in everyday decisions. But in chapters 10 through 12, David grew more self-dependent than God-dependent and ended up in a downward spiral that culminated in egregious sin. Chapter 13 records for us that that sin actually left an imprint on David's adult sons. They, in a sense, mimicked his choices in their lives. One son saw what was not his to take and took it anyway and violated his half-sister. And the other son did just like his father did and committed murder, murdering his brother. Chapter 14 is a chapter of ungrace. David, even though his son was estranged for him and he knew where he was, he did not take steps till way too late of extending forgiveness and grace to his son. And in the absence of grace, as we come now to chapters 15 through 20, we find in the absence of grace, rebellion flourishes. And these are sections that talk about rebellion and the rebellion that we find as a result, ultimately, of David's sin. So as we come to chapter 16, verse 15, we find Absalom rebelling against his father, and it appears that he's going to succeed. It appears that he, as he grabs and tries to take what is not his to take, that there is nothing that will stop him. Or is there? Let's read the section together. You can follow along in your copy of the scripture. Chapter 16, starting to read in verse 15. Then Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, entered Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. Now it came about when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Then Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be. And with him I will remain. Besides, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence? Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your advice. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you've made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. 
So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. Furthermore, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Please let me choose 12,000 men that I may arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he's weary and exhausted and terrify him so that all the people who are with him will flee. Then I will strike down the king alone and I will bring back all the people to you. The return of everyone depends on the man you seek. Then all the people will be at peace. So the plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. When Hushai had come to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Ahithophel has spoken thus, shall we carry out his plan? If not, you speak. So Hushai said to Absalom, this time the advice of Ahithophel has given is not good. Moreover, Hushai said, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, they are fierce, they're like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father's an ex- expert in warfare, and will not spend the night with the people. Behold, he's now hidden himself in one of the caves or in another place, and it will be when he falls on them at the first attack that whoever hears it will say there's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even the one who's valued, whose heart's like a heart of a lion, will completely lose heart, for all Israel knows your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. But I counsel that all Israel be surely gathered to you, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand is by the sea in abundance, and that you personally go into battle. So we shall come to him in one of the places where he can be found, and will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and of all the men who are with him, not even one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city. He will drag it into the valley until... Not even a small stone is found there. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, This is what Ahithophel counseled Absalom and the elders of Israel, and this is what I have counseled. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend the night at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means cross over, or else the king and all the people who are with him will be destroyed. Now, Jonathan and Ahimaaz were staying at Enrogel, and a maidservant would go and tell them, and they would go and tell King David, for they could have been entering the city. But a lad did see them and told Absalom. So the two of them departed quickly and came to the house of a man uh, in Bahurim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took a covering and spread it over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it so that nothing was known. Then Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house and said, Where are Hema, As, and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They've crossed the brook of water. And when they searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. 
It came about after they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David. And they said to David, Arise, cross over the water quickly, for thus Ahithophel is counseled against you. Then David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed the Jordan, and by dawn not even one remained who had not crossed the Jordan. Now when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, arose, and went to his house in the city, and set his house in order, and strangled himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. In this account we see... Absalom, grabbing for what has not been provided to him by the Lord. He thought it was inevitable, but he did not wait on the Lord to give him the throne. Instead, he has willfully rebelled against the one who God placed on the throne, his own father, David. We saw last week in that large second section that goes from chapter 15, verse 13, through chapter 16, verse 14, that when people grab instead of waiting on the Lord, it causes turmoil for those around them. And that section was all about that turmoil. But today, as we pick it up in chapter 16, verse 15, we are actually going to pick up the account again that ended at chapter 15, verse 12, when it said, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor, from his city Gilo, while he was offering the sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. We pick it back up at the conspiracy. We pick it back up with Absalom saying, I am the king. And he's entering Jerusalem and it seems like he cannot fail. It seems like his grab for power is sure. There's nothing that can stop him. Just like those of us in this room may have experienced in the workplace where a co-worker is grabbing for power and it's going to hurt you. Or maybe in your extended family, someone is grabbing for finances within your extended family and it seems like their actions are going to have an inevitable result, that it's a sure thing. But is it? What if God purposed differently? At our previous facility before we moved into this building in 2012, for years before our last remodel, we had a problem with birds. Every spring, birds would try to nest right over the main entrance, and it was messy. They'd leave pieces of straw and grass that would fall down on the steps, and our maintenance staff would go out and try to clean it up. They'd leave bird droppings all over. And so we tried to fix it, and our maintenance staff would go out and wash take hoses and wash down the nests, and then they'd come back the next day and just rebuild. And this battle would go on and on and on until we finally said, it's useless. I can just picture those birds up there saying, ha, 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 we out. 
outsmarted you because we were persistent. Well, we eventually figured out what to do. We figured out that early in the nesting process was not the time to remove the nest. Instead, we needed to let them think that they had won. But instead, we had already purposed that they were not going to remain. So we let them complete their nests and look down on us and laugh in bird words. Ha, 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 we won. And after they had gotten all of their energy expended thinking that they'd won, celebrating, then they became power-washed residue. You see, they thought they had won, but we had purposed a different plan. And so often, God has purposed a different plan, even though we may feel like we're a victim, even though we may feel like the ones around us who are just grabbing for what they want, just like Absalom here. We may feel like their victory is sure. Is it? It's not if God has purposed a different plan. So here as we come to chapter 16, verse 15, Absalom does some things that just makes it appear like he's already won. The first thing that he does is in verse 15, he brings along Ahithophel. When people grab for what they want, their success often looks sure. Bringing Ahithophel along makes it look that way. Now, let's remember, Ahithophel was David's number one counselor. We're going to see in a few minutes that when Ahithophel speaks, people have learned over the years, you had better listen because Ahithophel always knows what's to, what to do. Ahithophel always gives wise counsel. If you've got Ahithophel on your side, you're going to win. When David first learned that Ahithophel was siding with Absalom in the revolt, David immediately went to prayer. And in chapter 15, verse 31, we read, Now someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. So David's demonstrated dependence on the Lord, but he also instituted a strategic plan. He asked his good friend Hushai to go back to Jerusalem with the purpose of winning Absalom's trust and then confusing the council of Ahithophel. As this section opens, we find Absalom heading into Jerusalem with all of the mighty men of Israel, the armies of Israel, And Ahithophel is with him. Notice verse 15. We don't want to overlook the last phrase. Then Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, entered Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. He's like the secret weapon. If they have Ahithophel, we don't have a chance. Well, the verses continue next with this glimpse of Hushai 
David's close friend trying to win the confidence of Absalom. And Hushai is a master of words. He is going to make Absalom think like he is loyal to Absalom, but in reality, the whole time he is pledging his loyalty to King David. He uses a a, a particular uh, use of speech called double entendre. He says something, but it could mean two different things. So the section opens in verse 16, and Hushai, David's close friend, stands before Absalom and he declares his loyalty. He gives a pledge, almost like a pledge of allegiance. And he says, long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom's thinking, yes, he's saying long live the king to me. In reality, what Hushai is really saying is, long live the king, David. Long live the king, David. So Absalom's trying to figure this out, and he says, now, wait a minute. Are you really being a good friend to my father? Notice down in verse 17. Is this your loyalty to your friend? The Hebrew word translated loyalty there is our special Hebrew word, chesed. He's saying... Are you demonstrating loyal love to my father by coming alongside of me? Again, double entendre. We see in verse 18, Hushai's response. For whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen his I will be, and with him I will remain. Absalom says, he's talking about me. But in reality, what Hushai is saying is, the one who the Lord chose, David, and all of his people have chosen, David, with him, David, I will be. Then, at the end of the section, We see these words on the part of Hushai, as I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. And Absalom says, great. In reality, what he's saying is, as I have served in your father's presence, always loyal to King David, so I will be in your presence, always loyal to King David. You see, he is a master of words. Absalom believes him. He thinks he's loyal. So Absalom turns to his secret weapon, Ahithophel, and says, Ahithophel, what should we do in this situation? Now, the counsel that Ahithophel gives seems strange to us. It's, it's, this is not part of our culture. Remember, David had left ten of his his wives, his concubines, kind of like a, a second tier of wife behind to take care of the house. And Ahithophel tells Absalom, go in to your father's wives. That's a euphemism for have relations with your father's wives. You see, in this culture, when that would be done, it would be saying, Absalom has taken the kingdom. He is the victor. This is a done deal. In fact, notice what they do. His servants set up a tent for Absalom on the rooftop. And he has relations 
with David's wives in the view of Israel on the roof. Very likely, this is the same rooftop from which David had looked down and seen the woman with whom he would have an illicit relationship with Bathsheba. You see, the reader looks at this and says, hey, there's a connection here. In fact, if we remember back to chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, Nathaniel the prophet had pronounced the word of the Lord, saying, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You see, remember, David has been forgiven the guilt of his sin. But he still has to live with the results of his sin. And here we find Israel seeing Absalom with the wives of David, saying, okay, it's done. There's no turning back now. This, it, it's, he's the king. There's no way that David could be king now. It's inevitable. Then... Ahithophel turns and gives a second piece of advice. Remember in verse 23, when Ahithophel speaks, it's just like hearing from the Lord. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God, so was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. So Ahithophel says, strike him! We need to strike him now! Give me 12,000 men! I will swoop in on him today! Let's strike while the iron is hot! He's tired! His men are terrified! He's exhausted! If I come in with 12,000 men against his 600, they will scatter, I will take David, and the it'll be over. We see in the next chapter that actually this was good advice. This would have taken care of David. You see, when people grab for what they want, their success often looks sure. For eight years, my wife and I lived in North Dakota. And while we lived in North Dakota, we had a large garden. One summer, I became very discouraged about my garden because my produce kept disappearing. It would be ready to harvest, and I would look out, and a half a row of carrots were gone. I would look out the next day, the other half of the row of carrots is gone. I would look out the next day, I'd be missing a half row of onions. And I got so frustrated, what are we going to do? I might as well just give up gardening. Why should I till? Why should I fertilize? Why should I spend all this money on work on seeds and plants? Maybe I should just go over to Lee's Super Value, buy the produce, put out a little table and say, just come take it and save me all the work. Well, the rest of the story, one afternoon I was sitting at my desk and I noticed a late grade school age boy running out from underneath my blue spruce tree, grabbing a piece of produce and running back. Then another boy ran out and took one and ran back and I realized that they had quite a game going. So I snuck out the front door, down the road, down the back ditch, got right up behind him and said, hello boys. It was fun. 
You know, sometimes it just seems like we're fighting a losing battle. There's no way we can win. Or is there? As we come to chapter 17, verse 5, it's important for us to remember that when God has a purpose, we don't have to fear. We need to leave room for him. Remember the verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19? Romans 12, starting the read in verse 18, says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. As we come to chapter 17, verse 5, we see that God has a purpose that's very much different than Absalom's. And this begins to unfold for us that that no one is able to overturn the purposes of the Lord. No one. So Absalom turns to Hushai and says, Hushai, this is what Ahithophel has counseled. What do you think? Well, remember, the, the counsel from Ahithophel was, Strike now! Strike while the iron is hot! But the counsel from Hushai is going to be, Count your cost. Don't rush into anything. Remember, your father's a wise old guy. He's not going to be sleeping with the troops. He's going to be hidden in a cave somewhere. You're going to sweep in with your 12,000. They'll have a trap set. You'll get demolished. You better slow down. There's an interesting thing that happens here in the original languages. Remember, in Hebrew language, sometimes when they want to stress a concept, they will break up a normal sentence and just take a special word and plop it right at the beginning of the sentence. For example, in English, we have subject and verb, and then and then the modifiers, like the dog ran into the house. But if you wanted to change what's really stressed in the verse, in the word, in the sentence, you could say, into the house, the dog ran. That's what happens here in verse 7. The very first word that comes out of Hushai's mouth is, not good. So our English translation says, this time the advice of, of the advice that Hithophel has given is not good. In the Hebrew language it says, not good is the advice that Hithophel gave. Then down in verse 14, after Hushai shares his plan, Absalom and his men come back, and the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, good is this plan over Ahithophel's. You see, our human author of the story is trying to show that while Ahithophel is always listened to, Hushai simply said, it's not good, and then shared his plan, slow down, and Absalom and his advisors say, hey, Hushai's good and Ahithophel's not. Now, why is that? In fact, in verse 14, it says, actually, our same little word, Hebrew word translated good, 
Ahithophel's plan was the right one. It was the good plan. Was it because Hushai was such a great, articulate speaker? No. In a rare occasion in the book of 2 Samuel, our author gives us a theological statement. He's explaining what's happening behind the story. And verse 14 is a central verse in the whole section. Here's what it says. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is literally, it's good. It's more good than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. The Lord ordained it. The word carries the idea of he purposed it. He gave an order for it to happen this way. This is God's plan to bring down Absalom. To make Ahithophel's counsel useless. To thwart it. Why? So that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. Because Absalom is rebelling against the Lord. Well, after we read verse 14, it's no surprise to us that David's going to escape. Because the Lord has purposed it. And in verses 15 through 23, we see that's exactly what happens. Word gets sent to the sons of the priests. They go to tell, get word to David. Absalom's, it's reported to Absalom that spies have gone out. Absalom sends forces after them. The two sons of the priests hide in this well. They go undetected. They escape. They go tell David, you better get out of here. And we see in verse 22, Then David and all the people who are with him arose and crossed the Jordan. And by dawn, not even one remained who would not cross the Jordan. They escaped. Look what happens in verse 23. You remember, Ahithophel is a smart guy. And there again is a use of a repetition of a Hebrew word here that gives us a clue that there is a connection between verse 14 and verse 23. Remember, verse 14 said, God purposed it. God ordained it. In verse 23, it says, When Ahithophel realized that his counsel had been disregarded, he, in a sense, recognized that God had purposed against him. And so it says in verse 23, in our English Bibles, we don't see it. It says he set his house in order. Literally, it's he purposed his house. You see, God purposed against him. And so he said, man, I better purpose my house. I better get my things in order. I better make up my last will and testament because there's no coming back. Because when God sets the course, I'm not going to turn it around. No one is able to overturn the purpose of the Lord. My wife and I live kind of on the edge of the city. What used to be out on the country, but the city's coming around us. And there's an 80 acres of trees just directly south of our house. And on the south end of that 80 is a dirt road. I mean a true dirt road. There hasn't been rock on that road probably ever since it was there. 
people just for some reason like to go down that road. They just enjoy going down that dirt road. And and the farmer probably to the south, the landowner, just decided he didn't want people going down that dirt road, and so he put up a sign, don't go down the road. Didn't really stop people from going down the road. And I think they had a chain strung across there for a while. That didn't really stop people from going down the road. Then they put in a couple of corner posts in the steel gate. Guess what? People still found ways to go down the road. When you want to go down that road, there's not a whole lot that can keep you. When God wants to go down a road, there's no way to stop him. Here, Ahithophel recognized that. You see, it's important for us as followers of Jesus Christ not to cower in fear when it appears that things are going against us. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell are not going to stand against it. The Lord's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through his church and through his people and through you. And we may come to times when it seems like those who are causing problems in our life, who are just grabbing for power and aren't honoring the Lord, it seems like they're just going to succeed. Just like Absalom, he's going to succeed. Or is he? When the Lord has a determined path, no one is going to stop the Lord. And our trust can be in him and his purposes.